0: I remember in childhood my mother having my siblings share not only their toys with a friend coming to visit, but the favorite toy and or toys. And one day when someone intentionally broke one of my younger siblings' favorite toys, And the guest enjoyed breaking the toy so that it didn't exist in a way which allowed it to be played with. And my younger brother experienced this and afterwards was very upset, cried. He understood that the young boy who had been invited to play had not only been allowed to play with the toy, but had in front of Peter, held it up and then broken it, and then observed Peter's reaction, and just sort of threw it on the ground. And my mother tried to comfort Peter that it was all right that the boy had broken it, and Peter shook his head that it no... He was so hurt, not by just the toy, but by the intentionality of the harm. And was the boy jealous? Was the boy playing with power? I could kill your toy if I wanted. And no one would stop me. And my mother was trying to teach my younger brother a way forward from one breath. Going in, and bringing his toy out of his room, he he didn't want to share the toy. He thought, "Couldn't we play with the other toys?" And my mother had said, "No, no, you bring your toy." And she was trying to teach him sharing. However, that evening, my father did not agree with my mother. He felt it was all right that Peter didn't have to share all of his toys, and that. We would buy him, both parents had decided separately and then together that they would buy Peter a replacement for that toy. Peter was wise enough to understand that he had loved this toy which had been given to him for a birthday or Christmas, a holiday, in our culture, in my culture, our family's culture, and so it was not just the toy as a material object, it was the essence of my parents' breath, of their parents, of their parents and their parents and their parents back into God in eternity, in my younger brother who was at that point probably four to five years old, and what he experienced in receiving that love, embodying being the descendant of that breath of the Holy Spirit, that breath of heaven, that breath I have never seen fail in my younger brother, who's now in his mid-sixties. That breath beside whom I am safe in my breath as we pray and practice as siblings. We share two siblings, a younger sister of mine, older sister of Peter's, Terry. And we share an older brother, the eldest in our family, <clears throat> William Michael Hen who's no longer alive, I've spoken of him many times. He was my hero growing up, three years older than myself, his breath going first. Not always knowing more than I, not being more intelligent, he was a genius, so he had a completely different, more intelligence than I do, but not more intelligent and always knowing what to do humanly. We are all equal in dignity, we human beings. But old enough in his little body that I learned to watch a bicycle being ridden and then how to pattern myself safely beside him, respectfully, responsibly, with right risk, reliability, a quality of deep reverence and joyful love. Mike went on to do many things, but one of them was to be one of the five creators of the rocket fuel for the space shuttle, and then he died prematurely because the intelligence of the people designing the lab, the NASA lab for the men, was all men at that time, no women in the lab. It was not ventilated adequately, so all the men died over a long period of time, some of them quite quickly, but Mike over over 12 years. So I experienced him breath to breath to breath to breath over those 12 years, becoming an old man prematurely, not ever becoming hate-filled or internally shut down in the heart or the breath, but rather attenuated to eternity, so that that direction has never failed me. He was in a sense, a protector who came to the earth before me that we might visit today in this subject, this summer retreat of 2023, due to my parents and my older brother and my younger brother and sister beside me. So in my breath, are my siblings safe? Next breath. Oh, from eternity through our ancestors here, of the very light of the Absolute, the light of heaven, the light of God, however we call him or her, that great one, toward light beyond these incarnations when we are no more in the forms we are. Mike is no longer in a physical form. Yet his essence is within me and all around me. A hero through whom I willingly breathe the next breath as humbly and deeply as I am able, that God's light in you you and you and you and you and you and all human beings, including oneself, allows the heart of hearts, the very center of the spiritual heart, to be a fulcrum of the human conscience in a direction of eternity, from eternity through one's ancestors, in this present moment of eternity, throughout all time into eternity, so that all space is home in that one might pray and practice beside all of life, all of trees and plants and animals and elements and other human beings, to embody that, that deep light. And then out of the breath comes a sense of gesture through sound, a word, a movement of one's cells through the fingers, the hand, the foot, the eyes, the ears. One is attentive to eternity through one's senses, one's consciousness, one's ability to think, one's ability to be and express the character of oneself. And then the emotions which are felt by that self, the individual living self of your soul in these temporal bodies which were conceived and born and will die. So you come from beyond this incarnation and go into something beyond this incarnation. Yet, while one is here in this incarnation, one is responsible, responding back into God And into God within everything, one is responding into the light of the divine, of the cosmos, within everything, within all of creation, within all beings, every instant, into every breath, until one's last breath and beyond it. And one is responsible for what occurs through that. One can say, I willingly breathe of heaven to heaven. Or one can take the little toy of my brother and say, I'm not willing. I don't have a toy like this. I destroy. I win. You lose. Or Peter wins and the boy who falls down in his breath and breaks the toy loses. And when the mother Offered my mother, oh, I'll pay for it, I'll buy a new one. My mother said, no, thank you. And that was never the point. How do you buy back the moment? You cannot buy grace, it's not for sale. So I note that we are in a very difficult birth right now as a human race. And whatever number of breaths I have left in this incarnation, the young people of our world are very accustomed to what I call the tantrum. I could break that truck if I wanted, you know, and then I could go try to find another one. I go, okay, why would you do that? Because I could. So for me as a contemplative or a mystic, never out of the experience of God, never, never for a moment do I ever feel God absent from me. I'm not saying I'm intelligent. He just never leaves. I'm just always aware of him, that I was made this way so that I'm like a certain directional fulcrum for myself and to encourage other beings to seek that direction, not of me, but within themselves, into the creator from the creator into the creator so we're at a point where I'm going to use two touchstones as stories they're called in Buddhist practices upaya, the old Pali or Sanskrit word which is usually translated as skillful means or methodology of consciousness or teaching and they're instruments so that It allows us a direction rather than just meditating into a void that we're empty, it doesn't matter. No tea, no breakfast, no tending the elders, no tending oneself. What difference does it make? The void is not empty. The void, when one goes through enlightenment, is full of everything of the whole cosmos. But not as the cosmos separate from oneself. Rather, the cosmos as holy family. You are one cell of all of that. So we just passed a holiday very sacred to my Muslim friends around the world of all different denominations, one of the two forms of Eid, E-I-D, two forms each year. And this was the one that follows the Hajj, the, the Precious pilgrimage to Mecca that each Muslim, if he or she is able, is to go. Traditionally, a patriarch from the family would go to Mecca and embody the Hajj for his sake and for that of his family. One is to participate in this as a Muslim if one is able. And so this past week, these last few days as we're recording this retreat, We entered the the Hajj, the, the new moon is seen. And Eid begins. Oh, the moon has been witnessed. The crescent moon so faint in the early sky. Oh, it is time now. The holiday, the holy day is here. Let us celebrate in joy, thanksgiving, prayer, allowing the principles we've practiced in this pilgrimage to enter the earth and all of the human race and all of creation. And so for me, it's always a day that I am aware of in gratitude and solidarity, great love and prayer and practice beside all of my Muslim friends and colleagues, and within the part of my own soul and heart, which is of that holy family, And there's a beautiful quote from within the Quran which translates, even if you see the day of judgment coming, plant a seed. Even if you see the day of judgment coming, plant a seed. So I had a colleague of mine ask me this last month, Beth, I, I found this quote in the Quran and they stated it to me, even if you see the day of judgment coming, plant a seed and they looked at my face and asked, what do you see? What do you see? Is that what you see? And I simply looked back at them and I repeated the quote, even if you see the day of judgment coming, plant a seed. I said to them, no matter what we are experiencing, you and I are to plant a seed. So, this week, there is an example I began using at the commencement of the retreat of the boat, which had tragically sunk in the Mediterranean. I note that there are probably a thousand boats that sink every year with refugees one, two, five, ten, a hundred, thousand coming from one nation to another one area to another. They could be people from one first world nation seeking refuge in another first world nation but trying to bypass paperwork because they're not able to obtain it. They could be sailing from Denmark to the Netherlands. They could be sailing from Belgium to England or Wales and they sink And a person might ask, why were they doing that? I could say because they don't have the $12,000 in the fees they need to try to get the paperwork before their grandson is born, so they just thought, I'll pay someone, a fisherman, to take me by boat. And so a person who is from a traditionally more difficult idea of culture might think, oh, I didn't realize it was hard for the person of that first world nation his fine sweater, her beautiful shoes, or his peasant sweater, working in great difficulty. A first world nation doesn't mean that everyone is wealthy and healthy and everything is easy and incredible. We are not a a film score. We are not a perfect image on a glossy magazine. These images of light and sound are reflections or projections of what is not awake yet. So it is your and my responsibility to breathe that the light awaken all of us through the sound of music and the light expressed through photographs and the nuances of what is written or typed as words by a pen, a brush, through a typewriter, a computer, a telephone. And what occurs when we do this is the light of eternity moves through us, you and me as an instrument of the Holy Family. It does not harm. It invites every other being, to safely, beside you and me, realize who we are, who are you? Who am I? Who is he? Who is she? Who are they? What are we to do? Next breath. Oh, here comes the light. We are to resolve the shadow back into the light of eternity every time, every moment, every breath, everywhere, always. That is the path. There is never another path. There never has been another path. There never will be another path. The path is very simple. And when we don't understand the nuances of this, and we don't pay attention to the depth and subtlety of the light through the breath of one another, we lose our way, you might say. And we therefore go through the acts, the karmas, the actions, which are not quite clear. They're sort of like a muddy stream. There might be a storm and the water falls very deeply down a waterfall or a stream bed into a lake or into the edge of the ocean, and we see the silt coming out, where there's the the mud coming out, as the water intensely washes that part of the earth out into the bay, or into the southern part of the lake, or pond, or the deeper part of the stream. And we have to be with how to treat ourselves and one another As that water clarifies, the air clarifies, the earth clarifies, the fire of the sun and the core of the earth clarify and our heart of hearts knows how to be of heaven in the current breath into the next breath from our ancestors into ourselves toward where we are going for the sake of that great light everywhere, in everyone, including ourselves. And when we abide within this home, we are content. It is more that God is content with this dewdrop of the ocean of him or her that we are. And we are on our path. And we are stimulating another being who is on his or her path. So the boats in the Mediterranean, years and years ago, when I did a lot of work with refugees in the 1970s, there would be massive numbers of refugees and tiny groups of people with whom I was working. And we would have to address, how will we feed the children today? There are 40,000 people in the refugee camp. There is no food. How do we take the food that came three days ago to arrange that it goes out in tiny amounts to all of the children. And we'd have to keep a young man from trying to come in and say he was going to get food to take for a child, but really he was just going to eat it himself, which he had done the day before the nurse had seen him. So we were trying to work with how to caretake the most vulnerable breath, that of the infants and young children, beside those older who had adequate nourishment in their bodies stored as flesh until more United Nations food came within two, two or three or four days. We had to say no. There's a popular children's book now, How Do You Say No to a Dragon? Right? How do we say no to the tantrum right now? We sort of turned into the immature dragon of, you know, the the hip global personality. No. I do what I want. I'm really rich. I'm really poor. And, you know, it's really hard for me. I go, it's hard for everyone to find this place in the heart and soul. The, the path of the Christed being or the Buddhic being, the one who tries to embody the Tao of Lao Tzu, or the fair ancestral way of being to care for family of Confucius, or the movement of the breath of heaven through the trees and plants and elements of the kami of our ancestral spirits and within nature and oneself in in Shintoism. The ceremonial manner of life is a maze in you and in me. But if we are willing, it is not hard. The question of your freedom is always, are you willing? And I will answer my relationship with God as such, I'm always willing. It seems somehow God is always willing with me. My response is this reciprocity of love, of grace of course I'm willing. Who is there in me to say no? He's already here with me. Why would I go anywhere else? Virtually every other person I've ever met in my life, there's no one I've ever met who experienced this quality. I hope there are many people who exist like this. I've never had the tender privilege of meeting them. I hope that They are here and I hope that they're protected and guided and blessed and safe and well and always, everywhere and always. So for me, I'm always willing that you could be realized by God and you and you and you. And then what would happen? Well, in our heart of hearts, we would be practicing how to safely see my little brother and the boy visiting Through the violence, Peter, unwilling to bring his favorite toy out, but his mother, my mother, say, No, I want you to share. It won't mean as much if you share your other toys, but you don't share the one you love. And I remember when Peter, you know, was so dismayed about the broken toy. He already knew that the toy wasn't safe. Somehow he knew the toy wouldn't be safe in the boy's hands. My mother had assumed the boy would learn how to play lovingly with Peter. Instead, Peter learned that there might be someone who would violate oneself. Someone might cause war. And then what does one do? What would Peter do? What would our mother do? What would our father do? So my father was an educator, my late father, and, and he his answer was, well, we could get a new one. And Peter said, we don't need to. He didn't really want a replacement for it. But my father's comment was, it was important for us to learn to share, and, but that we did not have to share everything all the time in a way that brought the most vulnerable internal parts of ourselves into the hands of someone else. We needed to be with the other person, but we didn't need to present the vulnerability of everything within us to another person. He had learned this from his mother's father. And when he was little, he had had a similar experience to Peter with his grandfather, my father with his grandmother's father, my great-grandfather Har, French-American man, and my father's parents, my father's mother, and, and had gone a different way. She had let her son not have to bring his favorite item forward. So we had a family situation of two boys, my little brother and, and our father, who were taught by two different mothers. And my mother and my grandma, Anna, my father's mother, loved each other deeply. So one woman wasn't wrong and one was right. It's more that we learned as a collective family of multiple generations how to be with violence to the material plane around a four-year-old or five-year-old boy in Peter and my father. Both men finding their way through warfare, as it were, with the women and girls and elders our family. So I very intentionally used the example of the boat in the Mediterranean and the accusations flying around the globe and reporters being paid only according to how many people read their articles. So the articles have to be written with a certain charge or no one will read them, right? This is what happened in the Mediterranean today. This is what the captain of the boat did. The captains were nowhere to be found. There were too many people on the boat. The Greeks were trying to come in to help. The Greeks are the reason that the boat sank. So I'm going to speak as a little girl here. I had a boating license because of my father between the ages of five and seven. I went to classes with my dad. I learned how to pilot the boat. So that if there was ever an accident or war or something difficult, I wouldn't necessarily have to drive the boat, but I could drive my father or grandparents or mother or siblings to safety. My father trained me as if I was a grown woman. His mother always treated me that way from when I could understand words, speak, crawl. She'd say, Betsy, come here. And she would teach me as a young matriarch of the family. My cells would know that my grandmother trusted me and was entrusting to me Breath beside my breath, her breath beside my breath, the future. And in that, there was a quality where there was no dragon in me that she needed to say no to. Because she was showing me that she had faith in how God was causing my breath to go forward in time beyond her. This is really important. My grandmother loved so deeply that she understood entrusting eternity to me. Here, Betsy, and when I'm gone, this one goes to your sister. But this one is for you. I have never failed the breath of Anna. How could I? The great mystery of the divine is in her and me together. This is what humanity must do now. The Earth is not going to tolerate the tantrum of the dragon that's the modern personality. So, for me, I went through the news after talking about it earlier in the retreat here, I went through the news, was the suspect and I'd look at all different articles, and if I were that little five to seven year old girl sitting on that boat as a refugee, I would have known to get up in the captain's seat and steer the boat. But you know what happened? The men, it was men and not women who were, who were sailing, and there were women on the, ship, on the boat, of course. But when the Greek members finally came in and tied up at the side of the boat and not the front of the boat, the boat began to move in a dangerous way. And the reason it began to move in a dangerous way, and it's been blamed on the Greek men tying their boat to the, to the uh, refugee boat from Libya or Tunisia, wherever the boat originated from. We know that people were mostly from Libya, Tunisia, and Pakistan, the refugees. So why were they on the boat? They are responsible. Why were the captains taking them? They are responsible. Why were the Greek men tying up beside, They were responsible. You are responsible. I am responsible. And now we have a a grave, which I've been consecrating with my own prayer, as I'm sure many people are. I am consecrating it, however, without blaming anyone. I realize as Anna's granddaughter, oh my God, Grandma, they abandoned the captain's chair. There was no one steering the boat. It is the single most dangerous thing one can do with a boat with an engine. You never turn away from steering in the direction of your path. While well, the person sitting there was going to be arrested. He or she, I, Beth, Elizabeth Ann Hinn, I am responsible. I who know I would have sat at that wheel. I wouldn't care who arrested me. They could have killed me if they needed to. And maybe I could have saved 700 or however many people were on the boat. Right now it's being blamed and millions of dollars spent on this and whose fault is it and what problem? I go, geez, so how many Greek school children will not get school lunch meals or books because their parents will be paying taxes that go to cover this huge fight of dragons about people who didn't do their homework in the land of their birth and childhood and adult life It's not wrong that they're fleeing, but it is wrong that they're not addressing why they are here, breathing, and being where they are born, where they are to live, and what they are to do of God. Everywhere, always. So that the Greek child, or the Tunisian person, now orphaned, left at the shores of Tunisia as their father or mother or uncle fled to try to go to Europe to get a job. no adult to take care of that young tunisian boy or girl now his toy wasn't broken her toy wasn't broken like my brother peter's his life was broken her life was broken and you know what you can't give it back to them and neither can i because we were having such a big global tantrum and you know When I'm gone, I'm 70 now. When I'm gone, what are young people going to do? Well, it's really hard for me. I just don't feel like doing anything. My uncle will take care of you. You're dead. You know, somebody owes me something. You know, nobody owes me or you anything. All you are owed, God willing, is this breath into the next breath. And every single thing you think, cause, do, do is the fruit of that breath and it is your responsibility and I am in prayer and practice fully willing to be responsible beside you I take no intercession for any future further falls from grace where people think Jesus will carry it Muhammad peace and blessing be upon him maybe he'll do it for me I go nope, nope, you do it the tantrum is over if humanity doesn't get up. The planet is not willing, not willing, not willing. Shame on us all. So for me, this Eid, the holiday of many of my colleagues, was met in France with the tragic death of a 17-year-old boy-man. His name is Nile. Nal He is Algerian-Moroccan. His mother's name is Munya. He either does not know the name of his father or never met his father, or is kept private by the family. His mother's a healthcare worker. He was studying, excuse me, to be a mechanic, although he was not going to school most of the time, so the officials were concerned excuse me, with him. He'd been arrested five times in recent months for driving without a driver's license without insurance in vehicles which he did not have authority to drive he was arrested all 5 times and he was taken into juvenile circumstances so that the french police were protecting him from commencing a criminal record so the press will say he had no criminal record that's correct there's no Adult criminal record. And he kept pushing the boundary further and further of driving the vehicles uh, illegally and in areas of the bus lanes where you're not allowed to drive a car in Paris or anywhere else. And he would insist on doing it and then speeding it. And he was being a cool guy, I'm sure, like we see in movies and video games and the media. And then this fateful day, driving. He was chased by two Parisian policemen on motorcycles. He was in a yellow Mercedes with Polish, illegal Polish license plates on it. Two passengers in the vehicle with him. One fled the scene and one was arrested. And the two policemen threatened him. You know, you need to stop, whatever they said. I haven't listened to the words in French. I've seen the film of it. And... He, whatever he said back to them, one of them shot him point blank, right in the chest. And the vehicle just drifted down the road and stopped. The French policemen, at least one of them, lied about it and said they were afraid they were going to be run over. But if you see the video cameras, it's not true. And who knows what he said to them. Maybe he said, I'm going to run you over. I'm going to come back and kill you. Or maybe he said something kind or didn't say anything. He apparently told his mother that morning, I love you, Mama. And they went off to their normal day. However, no one had told Niall, Niall, this is not the best way for you. Or maybe people had told him and he wasn't listening. You call working with adolescent kids, which I did for the state of Alaska as a young woman, oppositional defiant disorder. The dragon, the tantrum. So what are you going to do about this? How about this? How about this? How about I do it five times and... You sort of take me into jail, the juvenile jail, but then you talk to me and you sort of don't arrest me, but you tell me I'm going to be on probation. We're watching over you. And then you're going to come back in in September and we're going to set a a case to try to get you help, which is the case that was set for him. He did not recognize, no, no. You need now, Noel, to grow up so that millions of people can walk in France. Millions of people, anyone in the world can breathe in France safely because of you, Noel, and you, Munia, and all of the people who required that 45,000 policemen had to be called out to go to work yesterday. What a great id, huh? Wow. Fourth of July, my late brother's birthday. Wow, what a holiday. Boy, aren't we something. Let's just rip it apart. 200 policemen were injured. 900 people were arrested, almost all of them under the age of 17, 17 or under. I go, "Where, where are we gonna go? These are not my grandmother, Anna, my French American grandmother, Anna. These are not her ethics. So many cars were burned. 2,000. 1,000 buildings were burned, including the fronts of several buildings which were supposed to showcase the Olympics next year. So we're used to our fights about Notre Dame. Notre Dame was burning. And then people were glad to raise money to try to transform it. It's supposed to open December of 2024. And then people were upset about it. Why are we spending money on this? We should spend money on something else. This tantrum of the dragons fighting with each other is not helpful to a rule of law which allows another Nile to breathe safely and to develop adequate ethics that that Nile is responsible for his own behavior beside you and me. And that the policeman is responsible in his breath from the last breath to this breath to the next breath. He wrongly killed Nile. And at Nile's funeral, this last two days, the statements were made, could there become a capacity of law where we see that there's a, like a loving justice reached for everyone May that be the legacy of that precious soul, and for his mother, and for the policemen, and what President Macron is to do to go forward, and the captains of the boat, who drifted in with the rest of the crowd so that they couldn't be differentiated from the refugees. May each of us find a way to stand breath to breath responsibly What happens when we do this is we go from shadow to light, shadow to light. So I've used the concept from Norman MacLean's book, A River Runs Through It, and how there were the two gods in his life, or the two forms of religion. One was going to church and praying, his father a minister, and one was fishing, fly fishing, standing out in nature and breath to breath, seeking a certain direction forward. Till Norman Maclean, in his later years, would mostly throw the fish back, catch one with a little barbless hook so that it wouldn't tear the mouth of the the trout or the fish, lovingly place it back in the river, wish it well, and go on into the day. He allowed the historic hunter-gatherer in him to express itself with the least possible harm to the whole earth, to all of humanity, and then honoring his father's breath, speaking to him, Norman, would you please, when you're able, tell a story of our family. And then it continued into his son, still alive, John McLean, still fishing up on Seely Lake in Montana. A journalist trying to tell the stories of our world, Montana, Chicago, particularly of the firefighters out on the, on the big fires in nature that's been his love or his, his path, his work for probably four decades. What is your path beyond all harm to any human being? How do you allow the shadows in yourself, the shadows in your family, the shadows in your culture, your continent, our world, to come forward that the boys and girls, men and women of Pakistan, Tunisia, Algeria, France, and of every place upon this firmament of earth is inspired and stimulated and loved by the divine through you, this breath into your next breath, That as they hesitate, rather than forming the dragon in themselves, God through you and through them says no to the dragon, and they begin to awaken as a child of light, a child of silence, into prayer, into conversation, into the cells of their body and your body, that we, with discernment, learn we share this toy. We take this food together. This aspect, very precious, is policed by my father's discernment. This quality we need to learn is policed by leaders. Not perfectly, but where we hold one another responsible and we work together rather than burning the civilization to the ground, to rise up. And even if we see the day of judgment coming, we plant a seed.